0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Philippians 3:12 through 16 we uh, continue where we left off online last week and in our uh, series here called Durable. This morning what I want to do is I'm just going to read the passage, uh, <clears throat> excuse me if I have my voice this morning, I'm just going to read the passage and then ask a heart-hitting question for us. Uh, Men, if you can think back to October at man camp, you may remember this passage uh, from then. But I want to read it now, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Follow in your Bibles and listen here as I put it before us. Not that I have already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. This is God's word for God's people. Now, church, the question before us this morning is, what are you chasing? Beloved, what are you chasing? Is it wealth? Are you seeking more money, more uh, zeros in the bank account? Are you uh, chasing the almighty dollar? Are you choosing comfort, more ease, more relaxation, more time to do what you Want? Are you chasing security, a life free of worry uh, with little or low risk? Are you chasing notoriety to make a name for yourself, of gaining a reputation and gaining respect? Or maybe I should ask the question this way rather than what are you chasing, let me ask this who are you chasing? Is it a relationship? We choose relationships all the time. Some appropriate, some inappropriate. Some for honorable ends, others for destructive ends. But the reality this morning that Paul taps into in our passage is that as humans, we are all chasing or pursuing something. We're all chasing someone. And as believers, as those who are following Christ, this is no less true. We chase, we pursue, we have ambition. Not a selfish ambition, as we've already been warned against in chapter 2, but a godly ambition. As men and women created in the image of God, we are designed to pursue, to get after things, to be purposefully active. To have our hands on the steering wheel and our foot on the gas pedal of our life, intentional in the means and the ways and to the ends in which we live. But as believers, as God's people or gospel people, we have a singular pursuit, a durable ambition that carries us through every season, every age, every decade that God allows us to live on this earth. See, here's the main point of our passage this morning. It's this, that gospel people pursue Christ. If Paul is teaching us anything in these few verses this morning, it is this, that gospel people pursue Christ. You know, our passage last week, if you tuned in online there, the previous passage had those accounting themes, right? Our T columns and our, uh, and our spreadsheets of what we consider loss and gain in our life. Did you do that this week? With some of the time on your hands, did you make a T column? Well, this passage this morning that we're gonna get into a, a little bit deeper here has athletic themes. Has athletic themes of running lanes and finish lines instead of T columns and spreadsheets. To which someone here are like, okay, I can do, I can, I can do that illustration. But the Apostle Paul, in the passage I just read, he likens our walk with Christ to a race. To, to a race, a race with a goal and a prize, a race with struggle and joy, a race that requires effort and purpose. It is a race to know Christ more fully and completely. It is a race with an end. And so what does this look like? How do we pursue Christ with our life? How do we do what Paul will call this one thing in our life? Well, let's look closer at the passage then. We as gospel people, we pursue Christ. But here's the thing, church. We pursue Christ first. We pursue Christ first. Look at verse 12 as it begins with a negative assertion. It begins with a negative assertion. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect flowing out of the uh, the previous passage like the whole letter does. Remember, there are all these links. It is a line of reasoning, a flow of thought here. Uh, Paul begins with a negative assertion, lest we think that from the previous verses that he has somehow already attained perfection, that he's got this whole life figured out, that he now is perfectly righteous in his walk with the Lord. Now, he is, he stands perfectly righteous before the Father, amen? As part of our justification, in a legal sense, at what Christ did on the cross, our sins have already been paid for. Hallelujah. But his life still continues on. Yes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But don't confuse this with how we live in our life even now. We stand perfectly righteous. But then we walk step after step in this righteousness. There is still a race to be run here on this earth. And so notice the aggression the, the, even the violent uh, terms he uses here in verse 12. Now, maybe they don't fully come out in the English, but he says, not that I've already attained it, but look at verse 12, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He uses this, this language of press on. I, I, I press on. And so think of this as like a grueling military march through a horrific weather, on and on, through the night, tired with a heavy pack, with arms full, a grueling march of pressing on. We here in Texas this week, we had to press on through the weather, didn't we? Pressed on through rolling power outages of loss of water, of all the things that the conveniences that we take for granted, just seeing people being out of our house. I mean, there was probably a few days into it where the walls seemed to close in on some of us, didn't it? Where you got tired of seeing the people uh, in your family. No, 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 nobody's. But we pressed on, didn't we? We knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. We knew that the weather would not last forever. There was, in a word, hope. Hope at the end. And so Paul is calling us here to pursue Christ first, to press on in this march, uh, to make it his own. Why? Because Christ has made it his own. Look at that, that phrase there. To make it your own literally is to like seize in a war. To, to grasp and possess the, the, the spoils of war, to own something. And so here, he's, it's like in, in this war of life, in the battle, he is making Christ his own. Why? Because Christ first made us his own. We pursue Christ. Why? Because of what we just sang. Because Christ pursued us, we battle sin. We fight against it in our own life. Why? To seize Christ. Why? Because He first warred against sin, defeated it at the cross, and seized us. And so, church, we must get the order right there, don't we? We only seize. We only press on. We only make Christ our, our own. Why? Because He made us His own first. And this is the glory of the gospel, isn't it? The beauty of Christ Jesus, of knowing we who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we who were enemies of Christ, who were, who were steeped and enslaved in our sin, and we liked it. And Christ, coming to battle against sin and the enemy, made us His own, setting us free from it. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Has Christ made you His own this morning? If he has, tell him thank you. If he has not, then this morning... As you are hearing the good news, you can respond in faith. You can say, Christ, make me your own. I am ready to be set free from my sin and embrace you, Christ, as my master. He made us his own. He makes us his own by giving us his love of forgiving us of our sin, of showing mercy that we did not deserve, of lavishing us with his grace, giving us more of himself, more of what we need, welcoming us into his very presence. And these are truths that motivate us, don't they? These are truths that warm us. These are truths that set us free when we know and experience Christ, when we know that He has made us His own because of that, then we pursue Him first in our life. When I say first, I mean in terms of priority. Priority in our life, knowing Christ then. Flowing from the previous passage, this is what Paul was living for. To know Christ now, this is uh, what becomes our first priority, our highest ambition, our greatest pursuit. And it's the leading factor in all of our decisions. And so as we say, yeah, I want to pursue Christ first. I mean, isn't that what we want in here this morning? I pray that you do. If not, then the first place to come to is, God, I, I need a change of heart in this. I need a change of heart. There's, I, I, I've been pressing on to make my own name. I've been pressing on to make my own way, to make my own money, to be a self-made man or woman. If that's you, then it's time to repent and to turn away from that and press into Christ. To let him be the one that you are pursuing first and foremost in everything. study, should I continue in this degree plan? Maybe you're asking yourself, well, where should I work? Should I stay in this job? What kind of job even should I look for? Maybe you're in a season of life. You're asking, well, should I retire? Is now the time? What should I do then with my time if I do? Maybe you're asking questions of, well... Should I get married? Who should I marry? Should I stay married? How can I improve this marriage that I'm in? And while there are a myriad of factors to think through that would, uh, in each of those, they're the priority. At the top of the list, above anything, money, marriage, job, location, education, the weather, taxes, whatever it is, we pursue Christ first. We press in, we make it our own. By answering the question, which situation causes me to grow in Christ more? Which situation makes Christ more known in my life and through my life? Which which decision will enable me to obey His commands no matter how difficult it may be? Which uh, situation causes me to live on mission, to shine as a bright light in the midst of a dark and dying world? But see, when we're pursuing Christ first, He gets first place in our priorities, in everything, and for all of our life. See, we pursue Christ first, but we also pursue Christ forever. We pursue Him forever. Look at how the the next verse comes again. It begins with a negative assertion in verse 13. He's like, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own. He begins with this negative assertion, lest we think somehow Paul has mastered pursuing Christ first, that he's made him the priority in everything, that even for the apostle Paul, one of God's most useful servants ever, wrote even books of the Bible, is an errant word, he was mightily used, even he had work to do his whole life in pursuing Christ Jesus. He had work to be done. Now, mind you, this book in Philippians is 30 years after he was saved. 30 years after he was saved on the road to Damascus there in Acts chapter 9. Do you remember that story? If you're unfamiliar with it, go and read it this afternoon. Acts 9. You'll read of how God saved Paul dramatically, very dramatically, a complete turnaround. And now, for 30 years since that time, he's been pursuing Christ. And still, he says, I haven't arrived See, we never arrive. We, not on this earth, for sure. We are always uh, pursuing Christ. Well, the, the sin that remains, the fight goes on all through our life. We are pursuing Christ step after step. And really, nor into eternity. The beauty of following Christ is that it's never ending. Though in heaven, as we, uh, as we are with the Lord, we are free from sin's presence. But even there, we're still learning. We are still maturing in Christ forever, pursuing Him. Now, here's the thing. Our pursuit of Christ, even as we think of athletic terms, after a while, physically, we drain us. It actually energizes us. Isn't this, a, isn't this glorious here that as we pursue him, we do so without forever getting exhausted. The more we learn about Christ, the more we are energized, the more it motivates us to live in a pursuit of him forever. It is like a perpetually growing energy within us as we pursue him forever. Everything else in our life comes and goes, everything else has an end, but pursuing Christ is a singular and constant and forever effort. Paul says in the in the verse 13 here, just lest we think that he's mastered it, he hasn't, he says, but this one thing I do. This one thing I do, redemption, can you say the same thing? Is pursuing Christ the singular ambition of your life? Is pursuing Christ the singular ambition of your life? And here's really what that looks like. He says it's one thing, but it's lived out in three ways simultaneously. He then goes on to say, this one thing I do, we forget the past, we strain forward, and we press on. We forget the past, we strain forward, and we press on. We need to forget what is behind us. As we have our eyes fixed on Christ, pursuing Him forever, we forget what is behind us, both the bad and the good, those sins that you've committed in your past, and also the self-righteous efforts to impress God. Remember the list of things in the previous verses? In verses 4 to 6, Saying the, those things, they do not define me anymore. The past does not define you, redemption. Amen. Listen, some of you here are holding on to past things and they are preventing you from knowing Christ. They're preventing you from pursuing Him first and forever in your life. Some of you are holding on to the passing pleasures of sin. You're holding on some of those that are out in the open and you just don't care. And some of those that you have hidden that nobody knows about except your maker. Today is the day to repent. To bring those things to the light. To let those things now be a thing of your Christ. Others of us here are holding on to sins that have been committed against us. Those things that, are, that have now caused us to be bitter against that person or angry at God, we're enslaved to this bitterness that, of these sins that have, caused, uh, that have been uh, committed against you. And now even as I say that, I don't want to minimize the pain nor say that there are never any consequences. There are real and grievous and hurtful and even abusive things that maybe have been done to you. But you are allowing them to hold you back from knowing Christ. And can I very gently and, 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 but also plead with you to bring these things to the light if they're not. To forgive people if necessary. To be freed from the enslavement of the bitterness. To see whatever has happened to you through the, the sovereignty of God. A shortage of people that want to walk alongside you so you can make this thing a thing of the past. You can forget it and move on to press on. But listen... There still is some of us in here. Some are holding on to sin that we've committed, some that have been committed against us, but there are others that are holding on to our past, the good things, our Christian upbringing, the good things that we've done, the giving that we do to the Lord. We think we've been holding on to our parents' faith, our parents' good deeds, our our perfect attendance in church and hoping that they will save you. This morning you need to lose it You need to make Christ your own as he has made you his own. Whatever it is in your past, you need to forget it. And what isn't meant here by forgetting it, it doesn't mean that we erase it from our memory. As if somehow, like on the keyboard of our our mind, we're just going to go and hit delete. And it is erased entirely from our thoughts. But rather the meaning here, what he's getting at, is we are to put it behind you. And this is where I love the athletic imagery that Paul is bringing out here. If you've ever played sports like football or baseball, or you've or you've run track, you've run in events, then you've likely learned that where you are running is where you keep your eyes on. In football, if you have the ball, you are keeping your eyes on the end zone or the first down marker. You're not looking around. If you're running the bases, you are looking to the base or to your coach, to the people into the stands to make sure mom is, is, uh, is, is, is uh, cheering for you. Glancing behind you is a fatal mistake. Will cost you the score, will cost you the prize, will cost you the race. But rather, you strain forward. Eyes on the prize, pressing on one foot in front of the other. And church, the same is true in our pursuit of Christ forever. There's so much distractions in our life, isn't there? So many things that cause us to look down, to look to the side. There are so many things where we're looking at what's ultimately inconsequential. Worried about threats, wishing for accolades from the stands and thinking that that's what life is all about. And while we're looking around, looking at the threats, looking for those accolades, we go off course until our sin finally trips us up. Or we smack head on into something or someone and we fall flat on our face. But even then we get mad because we get caught. We get mad because somebody stood in our way. We yell because of the obstacle and we get angry. But you know what? Each time in our pursuit of Christ, when we fall flat on our face or when we're confronted with our sin or we're confronted, each of these instances is a moment of God's grace to you to get your eyes back on the prize. It is God's way of getting your attention, of of, of causing you to put your eyes back on Christ, of what matters the most. And it's in those moments where we can quit walk away, or we can get up with greater fervor and get back to the race of our pursuit of Christ forever. See, church, this is what we are called to do. And so this is all great in theory, isn't it? It's all great and abstract. We think, yes, this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. But where does this race really take place? It takes place in the context of our earthly pursuits, doesn't it? It takes place in the context of relationships, of marriage, of parenting or dating or friendship. It takes place in the context of word being known, uh, then we gain. But if we use our relationships, our career, our home, the people and responsibilities around us, if we are only using them for our own end, to make our own way, to make our own money, then we always lose. But if we are living in light of these responsibilities and these relationships that God has given us, then we will gain if we are seeking to know Christ and make Him known in everything that we do. And so let's just give a practical. single men, do you want to be married? Do you want to be married? Do you want a woman to be one of God's instruments in your life to sanctify you? Do you want to to, uh, have uh, your life laid down? Are you ready to sacrifice all your preferences to be one of God's means for the sanctification of one of His uh, children, one of His daughters? Then pursue a wife. Show her Christ. Get after it. Show her the way of following Christ. Parents, grandparents... You want to uh, impact the next generation. Are you scared? Are you worried about what the world is coming to? Of what the next generation will live in? What our country, what our world will be like? And pursue your kids and your grandkids. Disciple them. Show them Christ. Make Christ known to them. They need more than just treats and movies and playtime so they like you and you're their favorite parent or grandparent. You can use those things as discipleship tools, but show them Christ. Show them that following Christ is your singular ambition in life and that this is worth it all. But if you treat this, if you treat uh, parenting, if you treat relationships or work or school or whatever it is you fill in the blank as ends in themselves, as means for you to get ahead, as the goal in your life, then your eyes are on the wrong prize. See, church, Christ is the prize. Look at the, look at verse fourteen here. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call or the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that's a mouthful to really just say that the prize is knowing Christ, being in His presence. All the other relationships, all the ways that this plays out are just the playing field. They're the lanes in which we run and pursue Christ. We run uh, then in our entire life to know Christ more fully and completely forever all throughout our lives. Church, you want to make it to the end? You want to make it to the end at full tilt, knowing Christ, showing Christ, growing in Christ and there is no lazy meandering through life to get across the finish line. We pursue Christ. We pursue Him forever. And as we age, then we really gain speed, so to speak. We mature, rather, is the language here. As we grow, it is that perpetual energy of that we are moving forward into more Christ-like, which is really the final point. Not only do we pursue Christ first in terms of priority, not only do we uh, uh, t- uh, pursue Christ forever in terms of time frame, but we pursue Christ forward one step at a time. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, again, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, maybe you've been listening to what I've had to say. Maybe you read these verses and you're thinking to yourself, man, this sounds exhausting. (laughs) There's lots of work and we never arrive. Yeah, I might as well not even try. Is following Christ even worth it? Should I even try to to do this? Maybe I should just give up. To that, verse, verse 15 says, just points out to that thinking and says, well, keep maturing and you'll see. See, the answer when we want to give up is to keep our eyes on Christ. Church, there's always hope. There's always an answer. We continue on. We'll see. uh, We press on. See, the thinking of the mature here is to press on, to keep going, to keep growing, to pursue Christ forward towards glorification. It's understanding that we go from being lost to saved, to not just then saved and like, okay, now we're good and we can live, but then to maturity. And from maturity, then to multiplication, all to the glory of God until we even reach. Glory, and even there, we will forever and always learn about Christ. Why? Why is this the thinking of the mature? Why is this the way that we live? How is it that this happens? Why? Because it's we've been down the road. Have we seen that it's worth it to follow Christ, church? Have we, with, with sincerity this morning, as we sing, All my life you have been faithful. Do you believe that that is true, church? Has a day gone by where Christ has proven himself unfaithful in your life? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. See, we've seen that it's worth it. We've seen God prove His faithfulness time and time again. We've seen and experienced His grace towards us when we did not deserve it time and time again. We've seen the timeliness, the perfect timing of God in everything in our life. When we wanted it now and God said, wait, and then we received it, we realized that was much better (laughs) When God withheld something and we never received it. And then we've seen that, oh God, I actually did not need that. Over and over, day after day, moment after moment in your life, church, God has proven He is who He says He is. Maybe you're new to the faith. The road of following Christ, this pursuit is new to you. And so it does seem exhausting, The history of faithfulness is shorter in your life than it is for some. Well, as you walk with the Lord, pressing on one step at a time, God will make himself known more fully to you. All you have to do today is take another step to press on, to hold firm to what you do know. If all you know that Christ died on the cross, that He defeated sin, if all you know are the truths of what the Scripture reveal of Christ's past faithfulness, even that is more than enough to demonstrate the goodness and faithfulness of God to you. Just keep going forward. Keep holding true to what you already know, what has already been revealed in this book about who God is. See, there's no going back we pursue Christ forward. In, in Numbers chapter 14, those Israelites, they started to complain again. We've been through the book of Exodus here in, in the recent months in our life, and we've seen the miraculous work of God to preserve and to protect and to give these people a promised land. We've seen them complain when there was no water, no food, when there were great enemies. It's not recorded, but they probably complained about the weather too. That's, that's not revealed, so don't, uh, we don't know that. But even again in Numbers 14, they're knocking on the door of the promised land. And guess what they do even there? They complain. They say someone speaks up and says, we want to go back to Egypt where the food was there and ready and warm. The enemy is too great in the promised land. They're too tall. They're too strong. And not long ago, God had defeated the most mighty army in the entire world. They saw what God could do and still they complained. They wanted to go back. But no, church, we don't go back. We pursue Christ forward. We remember what He has done and we go. We don't give up ground. We don't go backward when we're tempted to despair, when we're tempted to not believe. When you're tempted and you think that you've finally come into a situation that is too much for God to handle. That somehow in your life, you've now arrived at a situation, a problem in a, in a relationship, a marriage that just isn't working, a job that's just not doing something that is just too much. And you find yourself in a place and you think to yourself, man, this is going to be too much for God. I'm in a spot that has never been met before, that God doesn't have a way out for this. Don't you believe it for a second, church? We pursue Christ forward. We hold true to the truth you've learned about God. So you're on this trajectory of growth that we've said. You're from the lost saved. The saved matured. The mature multiplied. And so keep maturing. Keep pursuing Christ forward one step at a time. And then multiply it out. Give it away to those uh, around you. Give what you've learned away. Bring others along in the race with you. Show them how to run, where to go, what to do, how to pursue Christ faithfully. See, this church is a durable ambition. This is what is a, a chase worth running, a pursuit worth getting after. Of all the things that we chase in our life. Jobs and titles and recognition and accolades. This is an ambition that is for all people, all Christ followers of every age and every place at all times material. It's about giving away more than uh, just what it's uh, accumulating. But it's an ambition that will move you through the challenges of our day. As your eyes are fixed on Christ, as you see how big and awesome and glorious He is, it makes things like winter storm weather makes things like a worldwide virus it makes things like politics makes them much smaller and way more inconsequential in the grand scheme of things as we see how good and how glorious and how sovereign our god really is so redemption make sure that your sights are set on the right finish line the prize the goal is knowing Christ Jesus he's the prize Otherwise, all your running, all your chasing, all your pursuits are pointless. At worst, you'll end up in the ditch, or the best you'll end up in the ditch, or the worst you'll destroy your life. But if your prize is right, your eyes are fixed on the right point of knowing Christ Jesus, then you will attain the prize and the race, the journey, but will be one of great joy in Christ Jesus. Church, this is a durable ambition. This is what we are after. This is who we are after. The Lord Jesus himself, the one who is worthy of all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our effort. Will you pursue Christ with me? Then let's get after it together. Let's pray now, and then we'll sing to